This is season one, episode one of the Money Talks Money Matters podcast featuring Michael Powell. Um, would you like to introduce yourself a little bit? Oh, sure. My name is uh, Mike Powell. I'm a teacher over at uh, Stoneman Douglas and with a couple of uh, students of mine, uh, Max and Jordan, a few years ago, we started up uh, the MSD Investment Club, uh, which I think is my reason for being here. So uh, so uh, I'm supposed to teach math, but I usually end up talking a lot of stocks and money with the kids. So uh, so I'm honored to be first guest here on your podcast, Sean. Of course, of course. And it's uh, it's great to have you here. We talked about uh, entrepreneurship, financial literacy, um, investing stocks, and just long-term goals. And, and um Hopefully, uh, something that will kind of take this, me as a generation and future generations to not having to worry about, like, am I going to be set up in 40 to 50 to 60 years? Like, kind of, like, get yourself a good start off now, then kind of stress about it later. So, um, and then I just want to get a good insight. What was your, um, what was your first ordeal with money and, like, what was your first job and, like, how did you start kind of, like, setting yourself up to where you are now? Sure. So just like a couple of things, I was kind of lucky, like in the fake money category, which a lot of students, you know, we have, um, you know, like the DECA program and stuff. When I was in seventh grade, we did the stock market game for the first time. And I'm an old man, so born in the 70s. So uh, back in the day, you had to like read the newspaper and everything was done in fractions rather than decimals. And so that's where I first even heard of stocks and stuff, even though I knew my dad did it. Um, But when I really got up and rolling is uh, I grew up in Chicago and so when I was 15 and a half is when you were legally able to work I started I started working right away and my high school uh, Naperville Central uh, was the name I think was one of the fir- I won't say the first because I don't know for sure but was one of the first to actually do um, ours was called like Wall Street the Society was the name and it was an investment club there and so what I did with a bunch of my friends there were 30 of us was capped we all pooled our money each month, I think it was like 30 bucks, which back in the 90s, that was like kind of a, a lot of money. 30 bucks a month, everyone pulled their money. And then as a group, we researched and invested in stocks. So this is like 94, 95. So this is the Microsofts and the Intels yeah. were like the big ones back, which are still big nowadays, at least Microsoft anyways, <laughs> which yeah. are still big uh, back in the day. But that's how I got up and moving. And um, it really became knowledgeable myself is when I put my own money to work, you know, when I was a young guy. And where did you put your money first? Like, uh, did, was it through TD Ameritrade? Was it through, um, of course, not like Robinhood, but what was the investment uh, source? Yeah, it was really different back then. So so keep in mind, well, I, mean, I guess it's kind of hard, you know, like I said, for your guys' generation, you imagine a time before internet, or I'll just say this, around the time I was a sophomore, junior in high school is when internet started becoming available. And that was dial-in, modem, all this. So to answer your question directly, as a group, we had a an investment account. I believe it was Merrill Lynch. Every time we executed a stock trade, I think the fee was $55 to make a trade, and we had to vote on it and put it in. So unlike what you can do now, where it's cost-free, you can do everything from your phone, we had to have a broker that we would call up, fill out an order form, fax it, and then you had to pay these fees on top of it all. And then for tracking, you basically had to do your own computer programs to track what it is you were doing. You couldn't just sign into your account and like, how's my money doing? You had to back of the envelope, figure it out. That was actually my job. I was the treasurer. I had to run all of our numbers each month. So it was kind of tedious. Yeah, that's amazing. And then that's when you started to build your portfolio to where you are now? Yeah. So like I mentioned, our group had 30, there were 30 members of our group. So each of us had one thirtieth 
you know, the portfolio. And when you graduated, or when I graduated in 96, you had the option of either withdrawing, you could cash out your portion of the of the membership, which is what I chose to do, or you could keep it in there and not be, you know, not vote anymore, just let, you know, kind of the shares appreciate. So when I went off to school, um, and I went to college in Chicago as well, so I went off to school between my savings from my job and then what I had earned, you know, in this Wall Street society gains, you know, I went to school with, you know, maybe like $9,500 or something like that, which again, for 1996, that wasn't too bad. Just yeah. from, you know, working at a grocery store, I got paid four twenty-five an hour. So, like, so I, stop laughing at me. <laughs> so anyway, you know, like I said, dollars were a little bit, dollars were a yeah. little bit different back then, but it got me started. And the big thing was I felt it wasn't until I would say I didn't really get actively involved as a major investing and making stock trades again until I graduated college because you know during college you're busy doing other things it wasn't until I got that real salary job that I really got reinvested but because I had already done this stuff you know back when I was 16 17 18 when I came to it as a 22 year old and I'm getting this real paycheck and I have to make real decisions about my money I felt pretty well informed if that makes sense wasn't an expert but I cut you know but I knew more than the average yeah. person I think so is that when you started to build like your nest egg per se, in a way of like, okay, like I need to do something that's going to kind of like snowball into something greater. Yeah, I wish this was going to turn into like a really exciting like bio, but I'll just say real briefly, no, and if I actually look back, I really got started, Sean, I would say in that, oh, I'm now investing for the future and I'm building the nest egg. Some yeah. of the stuff that you and I talk about or some of the kids and I talk about there in the investment club, probably not until I was maybe 26 or so. Reason being, I got a little bit deeper. I was you know, really successful as a banker for several years, so I did that. Then I thought I wanted to go to do law school. I didn't really like that, but I always wanted to be a teacher. That's actually true. I'm very lame. I always wanted to be a teacher. That's what I do. Um, and I didn't get started in my career, my real career, like this is what I was meant to do type of thing, um, you know, until my mid-20s. So at that point, I got a mortgage, you know, all those kinds of things. That's when I really kicked it into overdrive and said, like, okay, I make this much as a teacher, which isn't terribly much. Make this much. I tutor. You know, this is the thing, and this is going to be. This yeah. is my. This is my game plan. Yeah. Basically, get me from here to forty, and then you know, then I set the wheels in motion. I think. And then throughout the whole way, did you have like saving rules of um of of either take twenty percent of reinvesting it, or take twenty percent of saving it, or like how would you spend and save your money? Yeah. So what I'd say is, like I said, it kind of was in two piles. So you know, I earned a certain amount from my salary. And then I had, you know, I mentioned I did a lot. Of, I do a lot of private tutoring. I still do a lot of private tutoring. So essentially, it would be anything that I did on the side, side gig for my tutoring money. That was pretty much strictly into investments, and that would just go in. Start of the year, you may be familiar with um, individual retirement accounts, IRAs. You could put up to six grand in those. I do that right in January. You know, top that off. Um, through my work, I set up some other retirement plans that are available. You may have heard of like a 401k is something that you can do if you're in private industry, yeah. if you're public school, 403b. So my goal pretty much always was make sure my savings rate stayed north of 50% because my thought was, or my projections were, if I could do that, and my sixth graders even may find, I would talk about this too. Uh, my projection was I wanted to by age 40, I wanted to be in a position where I could say, hmm, I can scale back now. I can kind of do, you know, maybe semi-retirement. I don't know. Just have some control is basically what I was after. Yeah, I got you. Now, um, since you're way more invested in stocks than anything else, I mean, why did you never think about, like, real estate 
or, or, or even like commercialized real estate? Yeah, I think um, it's a great question because a lot of my friends got into it and I've got some family who've done it too. It's more of my personality type. I don't want to deal with other people's like issues. I, I would just kind of, I would be the world's worst landlord, you know, type of thing. Yeah. Now you can do, and I've got, I've got friends who do this. You can do own real estate, rent it out and have like a management company. Like you can put someone in between you and the actual tenants, but that's going to eat into you know, whatever income you're going to make. Yeah. I think it's more to answer your question. I, if I think, if I actually think about it, I don't know that I ever even considered it really other than say like, well, I don't know if I really want to deal with this and I was comfortable with stocks. So I just sort of stuck with it rather than try and yeah. you know, try a little bit of everything. But I mean, even for you right now, I mean, cause of the amount of wealth you can pull out and like kind of liquidate in a way is like, you can still put a certain percentage and then leverage that and then acquire property and then put like, either a tenant in or a family member paying off your rent every month. And it's like, that could be another source of retirement. Yeah. I think you, you make a good point. And I think it's one of those, I should, I should have had you as an advisor like 10 years ago. And reason being, you know, we had a historically, I mean, now that I think about it, I mean, I got really burned on real estate. So I'll just share it with your listeners. I'll just share. Yeah. I bought my, I bought my property that I live in in 2006. And if you go and look at about the worst time in history to buy yeah. property in South Florida, 2006 is right up there. Yes. So I got torched a little bit. I saved on taxes. So, you know, getting burned a little bit, I mean, you have to have a place to live. So I don't get like, you know, I don't get too bad out of shape about it. But I think, like I said, it's a little bit out of my comfort zone or a little bit out of my area of expertise. And I guess I got far along, you know, far along enough along my, you know, path here where it's sort of like, I'm kind of getting to where I want to anyways, you know, you know, do I really need to, or is it more beneficial? But okay. like I said, I think, I think a lot of it is really chalked up to personality. And then right now your passive income is just, I'm assuming that it's going to be the dividends on the stocks yeah. that you're going to live off of, like realistically in like 20, 20 to 25 years, mm-hmm. like, like that's how you're going to retire off of. Um, yeah, I think so. Uh, there's enough going in there. And, and I think, you know, it depends on your know, people's background. One of the things that, you know, again, you know, being, you know, being, you know, completely forthright about it, you know, I'm pretty lucky in that, you know, I'm a one of four children, you know, of my parents who are also pretty well, you know, my dad, you know, this is where I, you know, I kind of learned at his knee as far as like the stocks and stuff. So he's pretty well set there too. So I was like, worst, worst case scenario, I know I stand to inherit a little bit on top of yeah. everything else, so there's sort of a backup. But but I but I like to do everything on my own, so it's sort of like well, if, you know, like I said, if worst comes to worst. Um, but I've got it set up. I actively, and I may have shared this with you. I actively have funds that are dividend paying um, that I have set up in non-retirement. So I already have a ladder going in that. And my dividends right now pay about maybe sixty percent of my expenses as it is my mortgage is scheduled to pay off in three years so after that yeah. I mean, it's going to cover almost everything so um you know i'm kind of at a point if i you know if there's something that your listeners may know or that you may be familiar with called the four percent rule which says you know if you keep if you stay mostly if not entirely fully invested you can safely withdraw four percent of your investment balances each year and because of growth your nut, meaning your capital level, ought to stay about the same. So yeah. you can extract that way. So like I said, I just I'm ballparking it's back of the envelope map. I haven't sat there and said like I need precisely this much. 
I just know that I'm, you know, feeling pretty confident where I am at. I just turned 43 last month, so I'm feeling pretty okay about, you know, all that. Yeah. You know, relative to most. Yeah. Now, um, since you have the age and also the knowledge, what would you recommend to someone just starting off, like me or someone else, kind of wanting to build their future wealth? Sure. And I think if you talk to my students, they'll tell you, like, I talk way too much. and I, But I do try carefully with this stuff, you know, only to offer suggestions if asked. And since you asked, it kind of dep it depends on, it depends on the you know, young man or woman, what they want to do. I have some who say very specifically, I want to start getting into good habits now. What do you recommend? And then I have others who are, I just want to get familiar with the stock market. I'm interested in these companies. Let's kind of talk about it. So for the first person, um, I have several students of mine that I've helped out. And what I advise them to do is take whatever money they're going to set aside for stocks and you know if they're going to stay invested in, the, in equities i say pick a number 50 percent is a pretty easy one pick a number 50 percent and just get into the habit of putting that into a broad-based etf it could be spy for s p 500 it could be vti the total market pick a winner go with that put 50 percent there and then i think at your all's age 16, 17, 18, as you're getting started, I think yeah. it's perfectly fine to put the other half into, I really like this corporation or I'm you know, excited about this technology opportunity. I think at this stage, you can put in another 50% there because I think it's good to learn how to research individual companies and keep up to speed you know, with their individual reports. I think, that's, I think that's a perfectly reasonable way to do it. And then that way, when you get that first real job, when you're 22, whatever, after graduation from college, mm -hmm. when you get that first real salary job, if you're already in the habit of putting this amount of money into that broad-based market stuff, there can be stock market corrections. You might not time it perfectly well, but if you're in the habit of doing that every month or every quarter, it doesn't really matter. Some months you'll buy it at a really good price, sometimes a less good price, but in the long run, you should come out ahead. Got it. Does and, that answer your question? And are you saying like the other 50% is like risk in a way of SPACs and like speculative companies and tech companies coming up? It depends. It's a great question. It kind of de it depends on what it depends on what that individual's into. Because again, when you're at when you're at high school age, and I'm assuming, you know, for most of my you know, for most of the kids I work with, you know, when they're investing money in stocks, it's usually from you know savings from birthdays, Christmases, whatever, and then maybe they have a part time job on top of it, or maybe like fair, yeah, yeah, something like yeah. that. So. I have some, they don't want, they bought a risky stock or two and now they don't want to, you know, it went down. So they're all upset. Yeah. So now they're like, I want to buy Walmart and I want to buy it. And I think that's perfectly fine. I just think by all means, put all of it in the ETF if you'd like. But if you want to, you'll know, follow a company or two, it can be risky or not. I just think it'd be something that is interesting to follow and that you want to track. You know, Apple's reporting or Apple had, you know, like their iPad conference and things like that. Yeah. So if you want something that's just sort of in the news, you can do that, and now all the different companies you mentioned, um, you know, a couple of them earlier, all of them give you the ability to buy a partial share. So even if you're like, you know, Apple trades at like one thirty right now, even if you can't buy ten shares or something that's a little bit pricey, you can buy a half a share, or you can buy a, you know, whatever it is, and still track that company. I think that's a good skill to learn. I got it. And also, how do you manage risk? Like in a way of like, you see, either say like you got into Bitcoin and then that went down substantially, but then that went back up astronomically. Yeah. It's like, how do you, like, how would you take on risk in a way of, if you see it like, like a red sea to, if you see the green skies, it's like, what do you like? Do you buy the dip? Do you, mm -hmm. do you kind of maintain or what do you, 
Like, what do you do? Sure. So some of the stuff you asked about earlier, and I won't, you know, I won't regurgitate too much, but some of the stuff I do, so I would say this for like the solid foundation, like I'm making sure that I'm staying on target with my overall goals are the things tied to my job where I have my, I have three specific retirement accounts and that stuff just gets put on, on every two week basis, there's a new deposit going in. I don't even see that money. If I make, you know, yeah, good. You know, so that stuff doesn't even come into my paycheck. It's already taken out. So that's already done for me. I do the IRA I mentioned earlier. I do that in January and that's for the whole year. So that stuff's just there. Throughout the year, as I accumulate more cash, I'll just go in, this is just me, I just go in periodically when I build up a cash buffer and I'll say, okay, I've got you know, X number of dollars, I don't want to drop too many, you know, I've got X number of dollars, I'm going to make some purchases. One of the things I have done, Sean, you know, that I'll admit to, and, and part of it's just getting caught up in the excitement with it, you know, I've got, you know, all these kids who are talking about stocks with me all the time and I just love my job and I love, you know, students are just like the most fun people to talk to because they're so interesting and they're so, they just want to know. So. I bought in the past couple of years, I bought a lot more individual shares than I did at my younger age. And most of it is admittedly kind of fun money. I'm like, well, yeah, I don't want these to go to zero. They won't, but I don't mind being playing a couple of riskier things here yeah. just for the heck of it. So my personality is I'm pretty conservative. I didn't feel comfortable getting into the more exotic and more risky stuff until I knew I was already set. If that meant, you know, like I say, you know, my Bitcoin, you know, my Bitcoin could go to zero. I'm not going to be happy about it, but I can also say like, well, it's not the end of the world either, you know? Yeah. Now, since you were invested in Bitcoin, do you know anything about like Dogecoin or um, any other cryptos? Ethereum, like... I do know that Dogecoin was like 40 cents this morning and it was less than a penny like a month ago. Yeah. Um, other than that, I, I'm not as familiar. I only got into, and I may have shared with this with you in the past... I only have any Bitcoin exposure because of one of my former students who's at UF now, and he runs a crypto, you know, he runs a crypto algorithm. He had a little business plan and all this stuff that he put together three years ago, and we used to talk about money. He was one of my old sixth graders, so we used to talk about money way back in the day. Way back then. Um, you know, so I, you know, I've, known, I've known him for years, and, you know, we just still keep in touch, you know, with the family. I keep in touch with a lot of my old students from years and years ago. And he just reached out and we had, you know, we had lunch or had dinner or something like that. And I just said, like, oh, hey, you know, I'm going to give you some money. Put it into, you know, into your business. I mean, I was an investor um, in that. And that's, that's how I came to own Bitcoin. It wasn't because I went out and told okay, yeah. like, oh, Bitcoin's the next hot thing. I have, to re I have to rely on young people to tell me what the next big thing is. I got you. Now, would you ever consider investing, like, yourself into Bitcoin or, or any other cryptos? Any additional, I wouldn't, and my only reason is, is because I'm too, at least at this stage, I'm too stupid to know what I'm doing. I don't, I guess I would say this. The more I learn and the more I research about Bitcoin, the less I feel like I still understand it. Like, that makes I'm, sense. Definitely in the, I'm definitely in the position where, like, I kind of get it, sort of, but don't ask me too many questions because I might not be able to answer them, you know, as they go. It's a very different idea. The idea of doing something that's not backed by the U.S. government is kind of like, it's interesting, but yeah. I, don't, I don't know what to make of it. Yeah, no, for sure. It's scary. It's scary. Mm -hmm. And um, have you, um, have you any, th have you thought of any new stocks or any like new, uh, new companies that you might, that you might want to share on here? 
Um, sure. I don't know. I, one that I one that I'm interested in uh, as I as I take a look at my phone because the one thing I do keep yeah. uh, the one thing I do keep there in the distance learning environment as often as the students are checking their phone. I'm going to admit I'm checking mine too. Whenever there's like a free moment, I'm looking and just kind of checking these out. Um, the one that caught my attention. Um, and it's mostly because of the CEO involved is uh, MUDS, M-U-D-S. Okay. Now, it is a SPAC, which they're kind of falling out of favor right now. But uh, MUDS is um, is the acquisition company that's going to take Topps Public, the trading card company. And Topps was a thing when I was a kid. I had a lot of baseball and football cards and stuff like that. Um, they're in the NFT business now. They've got some other – they own some other properties that were big when I was when I was a kid growing up. And they're getting into, you brought up, you know, you brought up Ethereum and you know, all this. They're getting yeah. into stuff that's blockchain adjacent, I guess. But anyways, the CEO involved with them is uh, Michael Eisner, and he was the CEO of Disney when I was growing up through like late '80s and the '90s, and that's when Disney was kind of a nothing company there um, for a while. And he's the one who really got the Walt Disney World thing really ramped up and kind of revived their animation business. Anyways, just I, I'm kind of a big believer for some of these riskier companies. If it's associated with somebody who has an actual business track record, makes me a little bit more interested. I haven't put any money into this mud, so I don't want to mislead anybody. Yeah. But that's one that I'm that's one that I'm watching. I just I think I shared with you Sean previously about a month ago during spring break, I took eight new positions. So I kind of, you know, I, the cash buffer I mentioned earlier, I had a cash buffer ready to deploy. Like I'm going to throw this into a few things and just see, just see what happens. You know, I didn't have a, a big plan beyond I'm kind of interested in some of these things. I got you. I got you. And, um, I'm reading a uh, rich dad, poor dad right now. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. This explains all the real estate questions. Go that, on. So this, yes. this all the real questions. <laughs> And um, it talks about like assets and liabilities, and it's like, like the one thing that I don't want people my age to get confused is that like I like I just want to go into this is like you don't need that new that new BMW or that um or that new PlayStation Five when you can get it either pre-owned or don't even get it in general because it's like like what we're not understanding right now I feel like as as a, as as like a generation whole is we get everything so quick. But the one thing I want I want people to understand my age is that like wealth takes time to build up, and the fact is that everyone's trying to hop on this chain of like of these trends is like especially Bitcoin and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like everyone's trying to get rich quick, and um, all these like 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 all these shoes and pop up sales that just like go super quick and like hop out a trend and supreme and stuff. Sure. Like like the one thing I'm trying to understand is that how do you Different. I hopefully I said that right. Your assets and liabilities. Like, do you have a column? Like, like, or like, I I just want to know. Except from your home, like, what else do you have building up for you? Yeah, sure. Um, so I do keep, and again, keep in mind, I'm a math teacher, so like numbers are like are a thing. But um, so I keep I keep an income statement and I keep a balance sheet. So with my income statement, you know, I'm tracking. You know, the paycheck stuff is pretty is pretty predictable. But for my side gig stuff. I mean, you know, I have ballpark. I kind of know what I'm going to bring in, and like business never seems to go away on that front. So I track those, you know, expenses, like the things that you talked about, like PlayStation. I have PS5. I'm going to admit, but you know, you know, with those kinds of things, I just keep, you know, I keep a line item there, and it's just the miscellaneous category. I've got certain things where I'm like, I got cable, I got mortgage, I got all these kinds of things, and 
it just one of the things that helps me, and it may help, it, like I said, and I think for people your age, I appreciate where you're coming. I will only speak from my experience, so I won't say this is true for everyone. I felt like things didn't become real until they were real, meaning when I was on the hook for X, Y, Z, you know, my mom and dad are not paying for all of these expenses. That's when it, you become a little bit more disciplined, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that I learned, and maybe it's helpful to you um, and people your age, is if you do force yourself to, if you sit there and actually force yourself to track it, I just use Excel. It's super easy. If you force yourself to actually track it, for some reason, at least with my brain as it is, psychologically it does something to me where like if I have to actually sit there and like I spent 25 bucks on this and I have to like go back to that and like type yeah. it in there, it makes me think twice. Like, do I really want this? Or like, do I want to like, do I, maybe I have a, maybe I have a short-term goal in mind to hit. And it just sort of brought, you know, some discipline. I could, I wish I could do that with my physical, I should do that with my physical fitness. They say you should track your weight. They should track, yeah. you should track your macros, not because you don't, you know, if you kind of ballpark it, it's very easy to cheat. And that's the way I feel about money and stuff too. If you hold yourself to account and you don't have to obsess over it, it like takes two seconds to do. Yeah. If you just keep track of what you're doing, then you're fine. And then you answer your question on the assets versus liability. So I keep a balance sheet as well. So I have line items. So to answer yours, um, to answer what's on there. So I have liquid assets there. So that's my cash. Mm-hmm. That's my investment account that I keep at Schwab, which is not retirement money. It's just, I can take it out at any time. No big deal. And my Bitcoin, those are my liquid things. And then I have my long-term assets that are in there too. Those are my retirement accounts, which I could turn liquid, but you have to pay penalties and stuff like that. And being a teacher, there's, I mean, like five different, I have five different accounts and they all yeah. you know, have a particular purpose. And for something you asked about earlier, there are certain ones that I know I can get into in my 40s if I need to. Some of them are set aside for when I'm in my 60s. And I don't want to mislead anyone. It really doesn't take that. Once you get... Once you get organized with it, which takes like happen like an afternoon. Once you get organized with it, it's almost no effort to maintain. You don't have to obsess. So it sounds may sound obsessive to be able to say you don't have to obsess over it. It's, it. It takes like I said two seconds just to kind of keep track. Yeah, and um, like like a, like a rule in that book was to first pay yourself, which you do. Mm-hmm. I like that how like you have money already set aside weekly, and then that goes straight into stocks, investing, and then your mm-hmm. your retirement. But are you ever known, like, because, like, you, you talk about finances and money and, like, like, like all this other stuff as, like, the finance guy. So we can go out with friends, like, oh, I was going to talk about finance. Or you're at school, I was like, oh, finance guy. I'm, short answer is yes, I, I guess, but I try to be pretty, I'm pretty good, usually, almost like all the time. I'm pretty good, usually, when it comes to that stuff. I don't, if someone asks me okay. to talk about it, I will talk about it, but I don't like launch into it if that makes sense the only exception with whom i do that my dad and my brother we do you know have a drink that's like deck time let's talk yeah we talk money we talk sports but that's just our sort of you know that's just our sort of you know hangout time that's what that's what we talk about you know yeah no i see that's one thing i wish i could get my brother into in the way of like i'm trying to make him understand he's he's a year and a half older than me so um we're basically like right there and though and he works two jobs and he works probably like 80 hours a week and he didn't go to college. But somehow I'm, I'm the one who's working part-time job making more, like way more money than him. Mm-hmm. And it's the fact of the matter is that he's spending every single dime. And yeah. he just doesn't understand like the saving aspect and how important it really is to start saving and also reinvesting. And then also start investing with himself mm-hmm. and get, get himself a career that's worth more. 
Sure. So he's so he's not doing like the whole rat race his entire life. And um his his mindset is is like, oh, like I'll just make car payments every month. Like that'll be half my um like that'll be half my income. Mm-hmm. And then he's also gotta worry about food and grocery. Yeah. And I'm like, at the end of the day, he has pennies left. So, and I always talk about having a balance sheet and starting to really understand what you're saving and really, really understand what you're spending. Because mm-hmm. it's like, to me, it doesn't matter how much you make, but it's about how much you save. And I feel like as, um, as just me just learning about finances, I feel like that's like the one topic that like everyone talks about is that it's, it's, it's about how much you save. So it's like. I'm struggling right now just talking to him about finances because some people, they can be down so bad financially, but like they just kind of push it to the side. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I feel like that's why I'm so, like, I'm so into finances right now because I don't want to get to his level in a way of just not caring about it because I think like finances aren't in a month or not in a year, like but they last your entire lifetime. So I might as well get started off now. You got a very important. You got a very like impressive like world like long term view. But they say some of that like I said is a, some of that they say is kind of like a consequence of your personality and stuff. I guess um, when I think about it, and I'm kind of curious because I don't want to be too nosy about your brother. But I just wonder like what that sounds to me, or at least my experience has been. Um, I never wanted to be in a situation where I was like where I had like a layer of stress over like money and stuff because like I said, you know something that we've learned. You know, especially around here, you know, in Parkland the last few years, like you can't control everything that's going to happen. So my thought is, at least when it comes to like the money aspect, I'm like, that's something that I can at least, yeah, I have some, I can't control everything, but I have at least a little bit of, you know, I can put a little bit of discipline in there and then sort of be okay with it. And some people are, like I said, I'm very lucky. I'm not a car person. Like I like to, I like to drive from A to B, (laughs) but I'm not a car person. So, but some people really... If you really like cars, if that's like your thing, yeah, then I don't think there's any problem. You know, I don't, I don't personally see any problem with like investing some money. Like if that's like your hobby and that's like what you're into. But if it's not, then it'd be like, hey, do you have something that you're more, yeah, do you have something you're more interested yeah. in? Or if not, like like you said, throw it, you know, throw it in there, you know, for a rainy day. And uh, I was just thinking to myself, trying to like. My thing that I like to do, I like to go to shows. I like to go to concerts. I'm getting old, so like I, I probably have a few years left where I can do that. I'm like, <laughs> totally embarrassed myself. But but like but in the last twenty years and stuff, I have no problem like going on StubHub or going through like a broker or something. I'll pay I'll pay through the nose if I have to yeah. to get tickets right up front. Like that's worth it to me. To the next person, they may be like, "Why are you spending all that? You know, why are you spending hundreds and?" you know, hundreds and hundreds of dollars on concert tickets and plane tickets and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. To me, that's, like, fun. So maybe, as you think about it, it's, like, getting, like, priorities. Like, what really moves the needle for you? Like, and that's different for every individual, you know. But good on you for taking, like, watching out for your brother like that. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's pretty nice. Especially being a younger brother, that's even more impressive. Yeah, I know. But um, especially, I like the way you do it because you balance it out. So, like, you'll, like you'll fly up, you'll go to a concert, but at the end of the day, it's like, you're not, you're not pushing your limits too much. We, you have to worry about next week. Oh, well, I can't, I have to, um, I have to not go to Subway because I'm, because I'm scared of, uh, not, of, of like a overdraw or, or like whatever. So, yeah, or throwing it on a credit card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you a big fan of credit cards? Because it's either you love them or you hate them. 
Um, I do. Just uh, I the only one I use. I'm not like being paid by them, but uh, like I do the. I have a, the Amazon Prime card, and I throw every. I put everything on that credit card, and then I just pay it at the end of the month, and so you earn. You know, you earn rewards back, and you get percentages off and stuff. So I think it's fine as long as you can manage it. It's a good, it's a good management tool. Just the thing is, you don't use it. When I put something on a credit card, I could easily pay for it in cash. I just don't because there's no point in paying for cash when you get rewards for doing it on the credit card instead. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but then I feel sort of guilty because, like, the only reason I can get, I and others can get credit card rewards, is because somebody else can't manage their. You know, Harris having trouble managing their credit cards, and they're paying extra, extra fees. Yeah, they're extra fees. You know, a bank is collecting ten bucks, and they're giving me two nickels. Uh, you know, of the you know, yeah. rewards. Yeah, you know, that type of thing. So, I mean, that's how they make money. But you know, it is. Yeah, I got um, I got my first credit card the day I turned eighteen because mm-hmm. I'm like, I want to establish credit because I really do plan on buying my first house mm-hmm. when I'm nineteen or twenty. Just to um, just I mean, I'm already trying to. I already have around like five grand mm-hmm. and, and just investments saved up. Wow. And then uh, I have like a, like another 500 in my uh, retirement fund and mm-hmm. my Roth IRA. And then hopefully by the end of the year, I have around like 12 to 15 grand saved up. So I could use it as like a 3.5% down payment on my house, on my future house, of, of course. Mm-hmm. And then hopefully get like a duplex and then live in there and then have someone yeah, else live in there paying out, paying out my mortgage for positive cash flow. They say that the recipe. I have I have read I have read about those I have read about those types of you know arrangements and stuff, and they always seem to work. Like I said, you know a lot more at your age than I did, you know. So you know, so like I said, you got a you got a good you got a good head start there. Yeah, good on you. Yeah, I mean I, for me it's like I want to get more into like the real estate business. Mm-hmm. So it's like I'm already like halfway done getting my real estate license to sell real estate, and also I want to become like a real estate investor because for me it's like I don't plan on going to college because like. Truth be told, I think school, what they teach, is, like, useless half the time. Because it's, like... Go on. <laughs> it's, um... School is really good at teaching you how to get a, how to get a job. Mm-hmm. But when I think about job, I think about 9 to 5. Sure. And then when I think about 9 to 5, I think about just 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 the, um... Just, like, the hate and, like, just how, just how trapped you feel mm-hmm. within, a, like, a 9 to 5. And I'm, like, I, like... The only way I could work is I can I can only work myself. Mm-hmm. So like that's my mentality right now. But, I gotta tell you, I like I said, I, I we're reading from the same Bible or something or other. Like I, I I'm completely in agreement. I couldn't do the office thing either. Now teach you know as a teacher, it's a little bit different, you know, dynamic from our point of view. Cause, yeah, you know, I get to listen to myself talk. No, of course. <laughs> but like I completely hear what you're talking about. Like a traditional you know office type job. Yeah, you know, would be I would have a really hard time. Yeah. Like so I hear where you're coming from. And then also, I really wish schools taught more of like the financial aspect of life mm-hmm. instead of just you know like how to do trick like trick. Because yeah. like I mean, I get it. And I mean, even though you're a trick teacher, <laughs> but like I would love if you taught finances at school and then yeah. also got paid to teach finances. Because mm-hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, it's like these kids are going to college, taking up all this debt, really not knowing. How to manage it, or even what to do afterwards, like 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 how to pay off the principles. May I ask you? Am I allowed to ask you a question? Of course, I have one. So, what would you say? I, I guess the thing that I'm hearing, and if I'm wrong, tell me. The thing that I'm hearing is that Sean, you've got a pretty well. You seem to have a great degree of self knowledge. I mean, you kind of you have a fairly good idea about what's going to work for you, not work for you, as far as a career type setup. You've certainly done some 
you certainly educated yourself and sought out resources like the one you mentioned with Rich Dad Poor Dad, amongst others. What do you think, I guess Mike, I guess a two-parter, how did you come to even be in a situation where you're asking these questions and researching this? And by that I mean, is there something that I or other teachers or schools could do to encourage younger people, to encourage students to even start thinking about things like that? My thought is, you know, you can teach someone the X's and O's of how to do balance sheets and income statement, but you have to kind of be at a spot where you're like open to learning about it. Otherwise, it yeah. just becomes another class. You know what I mean? No. So how did you kind of get so, into this and what is there, way, is there ways to maybe expand that? So I got into this and in realizing how bad my dad was financially, he declared bankruptcy twice. And um, that's, I think my parents got divorced around 2007, 2008, financial crisis. So like money is like huge, huge, huge ordeal in my family. And um, my mom ended up being a single mom and she was even struggling just, just to pay the water bill. Mm -hmm. So, so as a kid, I thought to a young age, like, what can I do to help her out? And I mean, there's really nothing I could do except watch her like kind of suffer in a way of work two jobs really take care of us and I was like I was like I was like this like this 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 right here isn't fun because she really had nothing going for like financially and then um and then she met my stepdad and then my stepdad kind of took care of her and, and and us in a way and I was like the last thing I want to do was like whatever my mom had to go through because like money was the root of the problem and like that's how it killed really the relationship that my mom and my dad had and um and then I also started to get into investing. I, I, would, I would just be watching videos on YouTube. So I'm like, okay, well then, what does it take for me to get rich? Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, search from how to get rich. First thing I see, investing. Okay, perfect. I was, I was, I was like 13 at the time. Mm -hmm. And um, I, gave, I gave my mom to co-sign for me on account, I think TD, or it was an account before. It, it, was, it, it was an account before you helped me. And then um, I, I would just trade penny stocks that's really all I had and then um, around 14 I got my first job at Publix and then I realized that you could buy public stocks so I'm like okay well now I'm in now I'm in the right direction and um, and then after that I I turned 15 and I'm like okay so I I had a pretty good idea of what I wanted to do uh, I wanted to own a gym and like that was internalized by me wanting to own property and then when I turned 16 I'm like all I want to do is just own property and own real estate. And then I started to listen to um, uh, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. No, I'm not familiar with that. I mean, I'm, I'm making a mental note though. Um, which, which, which he talked about like how to become financial, like financially fit and also like, like have a good strong mental and also how much like wealth he acquired off of just land itself. And then when I was like 17, I realized that the one thing I want to do is become like a real estate agent and like, and like, just like better myself off. And, um, I came to the agreement of like, I just, I just don't want to go to college just because I feel like I have so much potential to, to work after high school and, and get those four years of work rather than four years of someone teaching me. And then four years of getting an undergrad before I even learn like my, like my major, I'm pretty sure. Or like what I'm gonna be like studying for the rest of my life, and um, 18, I uh, 
I started to get my real estate license and um, hopefully uh, I'm going to make something happen. And then also to, to kind of go back to your second question, you said something along the lines of like, what can you guys do to make it better? Yeah, just so so now that I've you know I knew some of you know, I knew some of your you know, some of your backstory, but you know, but I am learning a couple of you know, of, of new details in particular, like you said, you know, the kind of the root causes, what first kind of prompted you, you know, to look. So I guess that I guess that was, I'm thinking to myself, what if I'm you know, what if I've got you know, all these great, and they all do, all, you know, all these great 15, 16, 17 year olds have such great potential and, and all these kinds of things. If they don't have that stressor or that, you know, mm-hmm. that major event like you described, is there still a way to get them to sort of, you know, be thinking about these things? Because everyone's going to come to their own conclusion. They may reflect on becoming financially fit and for their interest, that may be, I still do need to go to university or college, but maybe I have a better idea about what I'm going to do once I'm there, mm-hmm. you know, that type of thing. So I guess, yeah, so I guess that's my you know, question to you. The, if, if, you know, as a young person, still yourself, what kinds of things could schools or teachers, what kind of questions could we be asking or what kind of things could we be creating, you know, for the students in the classroom that might get them to start thinking about these things rather than just like, here's a worksheet. You know? Yeah. I mean, that's true. But then also, when you speak about work, like worksheets, like I, I think kids should really like think for themselves mm-hmm. in a way of um, just use not use examples, and then also like start to um, start to acquire like money within like your like math, and then start to understand like how like and and even in history like start to like really emphasize the fact that like m- like most of the wars like like we're based off of money like the Boston Tea Party mm-hmm. like also like also like talk about taxes and stuff and um I mean I think more it's like a course that we should take like all throughout high school like a like I know they have it as like a um an elective but I feel like if if, if you're going to graduate high school I would say becoming financially knowledgeable should be one of those things that like you need to check off just like geometry and then the history, like EOC and the SATs. So, okay. I like, I feel like it should be like state mandated, because, mm-hmm. because, um, ex- uh, like, like as I said, you're like you're literally going in um, college, taking up all this debt, and not really knowing how to manage it afterwards. Can I ask you a question? Now, this is a little bit of inside baseball when it comes to uh, when it comes to school. So, you yeah, may not be, who do you think? How would you qualify someone to teach something like that? Like, what should they? Like, <laughs> what a teacher of that class, like you and I can agree. Like, yeah, I could teach that class mm-hmm. just because I, you know, I like it, but you know, but not you know, what that sounded really, it's probably conceited. I didn't mean to sound no, like no, that. no, no, no. But I, what I'm saying, I guess, is more people than not, and you probably saw this in your research, more people than not actually have trouble, yeah, with personal finances. Yeah. So I'm just kind of thinking out loud, I don't have the answer. I'm just wondering, like, here's the nuts and bolts of it, but. Ooh, hopefully you've got somebody who knows what he or she is talking about yeah. because if someone delivers you the wrong information or they don't understand it, then you're really in a pickle, you know? Yeah, I mean, and it's, um, I, I would say one, it's more of something for kids just to think about and kind of just, just, just start off, like not even like giving them like the whole, like, like the whole nine of do this, do this, do this, do this, mm-hmm. but more of just 
you need to think about doing this, 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 and this, and not really acting on it. And also, it's like, I can understand where you're coming from, because there's also broke accountants, which is kind of, like, ironic, but it's true. It's like, some people can teach something, but, like, they can't practice what they preach. Oh, yeah, so that may, so may not be as bad of a, or maybe it's not as so, tricky a situation as I was thinking. I mean, so it's more of just starting, it's like, just starting the brain, and just, and, and then just putting that to work, in a way of just, like, just just talking about it helps. In my mind, I, I I want to go into something something that's just been on my mind. Yeah. Because when I when I listen to you, Sean, what I really like you said, and I'm very I'm very impressed, and I'm very it, it, very envious for your age to mm-hmm. be 18. The thing that I hear, and I'm leaving aside some of the specifics on the money and everything. Not that it's unimportant, but there's a bigger thing that. I think I'm getting a better idea on how I want to ask it. When you talk to me or when you talk to us here on the podcast about you have a you have a very clear vision uh-huh. about what is going to make me happy or what is going to lead to me to have job satisfaction, life satisfaction. You've got a really and I and like it's a wonderful thing to hear. You've got a pretty well thought out idea as to what your life day to day or and year to year, what it needs to look like for you to be happy with what you're doing. And that's what I'm kind of thinking on too, because there's the there's the money, there's the money aspects to make it happen, but oh, I wish I just think about this as a teacher, and again I teach math, so it doesn't come up in conversation terribly often. I just always think, oh, what about those opportunities to get people to really dig deep and reflect even at this age and you can change your mind you always have freedom to change your mind what kinds of things what are you really what are you really passionate about what do you what kind of like I said what kind of life do you see for yourself that you think is going to bring you you know happiness and satisfaction I keep using those terms because then once you have an idea about what that looks like for you it's working for yourself it's getting to work as soon as humanly possible, mm-hmm. and then you like to put in that sweat equity. You're gonna you're gonna make it happen. I have no doubt in my mind, based mm-hmm. on how you know to the degree you know, that I know you. You're gonna do that, and then it's a matter of like if this is what I want to do. Now I'm gonna make these money moves to make it happen. You know what I mean? Like the money. Yeah. The money part has to come as like part two. Yeah. You know. Yeah. That's what, that's what I'm thinking. I don't know. Yeah. So um, I mean. Like the number one thing I would recommend anyone to do besides myself is to really invest in yourself and just know what you want to do for yourself. Like, like not for your parents, not, not for your teachers, not for your grandma, but like do what you love. And I feel like once you do what you love, like I really feel like the money follows itself. So it's, um, like my personal passion is just to, um, is, is to find someone at home and, and, and give them the satisfaction of when I buy my first home, because I already see it in my head, because I'm like a pretty like visionary person, so it's like like the satisfaction of me buying my first home hasn't happened, but I want I want other people to get it, and I want to help other people like like obtain their dreams, and it's just like helping people, because it's like in life if you want to make money you have to give a service, like 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 you have to like you have to give something in the world to like take something out, mm-hmm. so it's like the one thing I want to give is a home and like that's like like that's what that like that's what people are going to need regardless of the day regardless of the time like everyone's going to need everyone's going to need to buy a home 
and like I was saying, invest in yourself. So it's like also understand that even if you're working like the nine to five or if you're a business owner or if you're working at, I don't know, like wherever, understand that finances take you throughout your entire life and just understanding to have like a balance sheet and just um, making your money work for itself rather than working for the money. I feel like that should be everyone's goal. And like I said with my brother, he like he could already surpass me by probably 20, sorry, 20%. But the fact of the matter is like he's, he's not invested the way I'm invested within learning and finances and really taking himself to another level. So like that's why I speak on here and that's why I'm so passionate about talking because it's like I don't care what kind of job we're doing. I'm like – I have no hate for the nine to five. Like, yeah. like I really don't, but that's something that I can't see myself doing. But I just want people to understand that throughout life, you're going to need finances. And if you don't, it's going to cause so many problems. And um, I'm, I mean, I'm pretty sure you can agree with that too. Oh, sure. That's like, that's the, like I said, that, that was the, one of the major things for me, like I mentioned, was just to get, you know, just to get a little bit of control over that aspect and then when you find those things that you're passionate about or you want it to if you want to do something that's a little bit risky it's risky in a sense but not really you know you can kind of you can kind of do things within your means and then not really think about it too much i always i feel really i feel really badly when i you'll know, read about you know, people who say like if i get you know if i get in a bat you know if i get a little bit of a fender bender or something like that and i've got a little car bill like you know, 800, I mean, you can never get out of there for less than five or 600 bucks for anything, you know, and that becomes a real stressor on people. And like I said, I think about your personal story and, you know, and those kinds of things that that's just one of those things that I said, there's enough things to worry about. I'd rather, not yeah. worry about, I'd rather not worry about that. That's a, yeah. That sounds, you know, kind of privileged and stuff, but, you know, but it's, you have to, you have to work to get yourself to a point where you can say that, you know, yeah. And live it. No, that's fair to say. And, um, do you have any recommendations on any people that helped you out while growing up, like or, or or any books that you listened to, or anything that you heard? Yeah, I, one that your readers might like and you may enjoy too. It's a it's a website and it gets into some of those aspects of kind of living your best life. In addition to, and here's how to make your what you do with your money sort of match what it is that you're trying to do. Uh, it's called MrMoneyMustache.com. Okay. M-R-M-O-N-E-Y Mustache.com. Go on there. The guy, uh, the guy who runs it is ridiculous. He's like a former engineer or something, and just self-made and and all this stuff. But um, the big stuff you can go in, you know, has archives, and that's the stuff that's actually really interesting to read. It's a philosophy about how to live your life, which is not to say never. It's not don't buy anything, like don't be a you know a Scrooge or anything. It's just kind of identify those things in life that are really important to you, career-wise, family-wise, hobby-wise, you know, the things that are of interest to you. And once you kind of really reflect on that, then that's where you devote your time and your resources. The stuff that's not that important to you when you stop and think about it, when it's not that important, why are you expending time and why are you expending resources, you know, on those possessions or on you know, that kind of thing. It's just kind of thinking about things a little bit more intentionally rather oh, than just, I'm doing this because I'm always doing this. So that would be my major one to everyone, Mr. Money Mustache. It just sort of, it didn't set me on a path, but I think it reconfirmed what I was already doing or just kind of yeah. 
you know, where I couldn't explain it in words. I could read this and be like, oh, yeah, this is actually how I do things, you know. Now, any books? Not really. I, in the Nothing that comes to mind immediately. There are some really good ones that, you know, came in the aftermath of the financial crisis. I think I've lived through three recessions since I became an adult. So, yeah. I mean, it's been kind of a crazy been kind of a crazy thing, but um, no, nothing that I did, you know, advice-wise, like I said, I was very lucky that, you know, just a, a, maybe by osmosis, I think I just kind of had some good habits from my parents, just as it is, and then you know, I always run things by my dad. I don't really do what he says, necessarily, yeah. but it's always good. But it's, he's a good sounding board. He's a good listener, you know. Oh, uh, now, what are your five-year plans? Um... Good question. I you know, I think I'm very much, I don't know when, I, hopefully this doesn't get to the wrong people's ears, but I said, I, you know, I'm very seriously, you know, considering retirement um, within the next couple. Um, I'm trying to move into a semi-retirement. I'm, you know, lucky there's, there may be a way for me to do my teaching gig on a part-time basis. That would be my ideal, come, yeah. in, come in every other day rather than every day, because uh, I still enjoy it a lot, but like a little bit of free time. I don't need to be there every day, you know. I got you. Um, type of thing. And... I think there will be there will come a time. I'll, I'm from up north, so I think I love Florida. Um, so I'll probably still stay here, but I think I'll probably go a little bit more extensively back. I still call it home. Still back to Chicago, maybe a little bit more frequently. Oh, wow. um, you know, spend some, the entire summer there, and then just a couple of weeks, um, that kind of stuff. And I'm going to be heading back over to Europe when it's COVID. Yeah, when is done. So I'm going to be doing some, I'm going to be doing some international travel again. So so those kinds of things. I'm taking up golf, retaking up golf. Okay. After a twenty-year hiatus, so so like I said, I'm just kind of that sounds very like typical white man doing retirement. Yeah. But, I, like, but, yeah, but these are the kinds of things that I'm. Uh, these are the kinds of things that I'm looking at right now. So. Yeah. So who knows? Oh uh, well, it was um, it was great to have you on here. And it was a, it was an honor. I really love it. thank you so much. I love the setup here, and this is going to be a, this is a great this is a great thing to see, Sean. Thank you, and uh, more to come. And I hope to have you uh, hope to have you back on. All right, sounds good, pal. Uh,